You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Tonight's Bible reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, and can be found in the pew Bibles in front of you on page 932. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written, with the tongues And through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for the unbelievers, but for the believers. So if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquires or... and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue to or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For, the, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should, re, should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak but in in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit... Let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command, but if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, 
and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Thanks, Tash. I uh, went to watch the footy the other, uh, last night and I was checking the guide to see when the game started and I noticed that they have now a pre-show before the game, like it's a separate program in the guide and that's where they sort of talk about what's going to come up and then the, there's a separate program for the actual game. I'm going to do that for my talk right now. I'm just going to give you a little pre-show before we get into it properly. So um, if when we read verses 34 and 35, I wouldn't be surprised if that got your attention. <laughs> um, in, our, in our current age of um, seeking equality amongst men and women and wanting to really emphasize that uh, we are all equal across the genders, uh, those couple of verses might have made you go, whoa, what's going on there? So I'm going to say something very briefly about it now and then get into the nitty-gritty about it later. What I'm going to say about it now is those two verses are specifically about married women and it's about them being quiet during the testing of prophecy. I'm going to get into that in more detail as it comes along. It is not permission for us to go, this means that women are to be silenced in all church meetings, uh, in all contexts throughout the rest of history uh, since it was written 2,000 years ago. So I'm just going to say that up front and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of how I've drawn that conclusion as we go. I also want to say in this pre-show that this is like, this is definitely the end of a series talk, right? So it's part five of five, and it feels like it as I was preparing it, that it really does feel like it's been built on the foundation of the previous few weeks as we've looked at chapter 12, 13, and 14. So um, if you have not heard all of those talks and you get to the end and you go, yeah, I really did feel like I was missing a couple of the pieces there, uh, that's cool, and that's again, we've got that podcast where you can go back, fill in the details um, there a little bit and, and listen back to the foundation that we've set. I just wanted to put that up front. It may feel like if you've come in late in the series that I'm quickly moving past a few things that you'd like to know more detail on. That's because we've covered them in previous weeks. Okay, pre-show over. Cool, now into the main event. Uh, so there's a couple of verses that I think summarise this passage pretty well. Uh, we'll chuck it up on the screen if we can. Joel, here we go. So verse 33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So God is against disorder, and he's thumbs up for peace. And verse 40, Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So again, there's this emphasis on order, uh, and this is particularly focused on when the church gathers together in a sort of group that we've got right now, you know, or maybe a smaller group, you know, where you meet in small groups during the week called life groups, meet in people's homes, similar, that we should meet with a sense of order, that it's not completely chaotic experience to attend a Christian gathering. Now, one of the most famous villains in pop culture in recent times is uh, Batman's nemesis, the Joker. Uh, now, lots of different variations of the Joker, comic books, cartoons, TV shows, movies, um, perhaps the most chilling that I've seen is uh, Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker in the movie The Dark Knight. And I was trying to work out, why is he such a compelling bad guy? Why is he so, sort of so terrifying, the Joker, in this movie? And I think I've nailed why. Most villains in popular fiction 
have some sort of motivation that motivates their villainous activities. So it might be that they uh, want to get really rich or they want to get revenge on someone who wronged them or their family, or they want to have world domination and be in control of everything. And that sort of motivates all, all their actions. Well, the Joker's motivation is chaos. To bring chaos wherever, the, wherever there is order, you know, tear that down and replace it with chaos. All he wants to do is mess with you. There's no grand plan to it apart from that. And so one of the characters actually says of the Joker during the movie, some men just want to watch the world burn. And this sense of like, yeah, if chaos just takes over, the whole thing burns down. You think about like how many people got in a car today, either to drive or to be a passenger in a car, right? Okay, so most people in the room. Now, you can be all thankful that there was a fair bit of order on the roads today. Because if there was chaos on the roads... I don't think you'd want to be driving home, right? Chaos actually just destroys a lot of things in life. And so it would make sense then that when we, to, when we gather together that we want to be avoiding chaos in the way we meet and embracing some sort of sense of order. Um, and so that's what, what Paul, the author of this letter in the Bible, is focusing on in this section that we're looking at today. Now we need to remember that this book, the book of 1 Corinthians, was written to a specific church in a specific location in a specific time in history. It's the churches in the city of Corinth um, and it's uh, approximately 2,000 years ago. So um, their context is important in understanding it. And what we understand from the previous chapters is that their meetings had a fair bit of chaos going on. You know, there was not a lot of order in them. And so a lot of this letter is Paul correcting what they're doing and saying, that's not going great, you need to do it differently, stop doing that, do this, this sort of thing. And that's what we're getting in the verses that we're looking at today. Now, what we want to be careful of when we look at a letter like this, and with most um, thing, things in the Bible, is we do need to read them understanding that they were written to a specific group in, at a specific time. And so we want to avoid mixing up commands and principles. So a command is a rule that's to be strictly observed and a principle is a truth that serves as a foundation for behaviour. It doesn't necessarily have to be strictly observed um, in, order, in order for it to be useful, but it's still a great thing to have in your life. And so we don't want to take principles and turn them into commands or take commands that are for a particular group of people or a particular situation and make it a universal command for everyone throughout history. Okay, so we're just going to be careful in the way we deal with commands and principles anywhere in the Bible, but particularly in a complicated passage like we've got today. So, quick recap on what Paul's been focusing on in this chapter. He's been focused on spiritual gifts, and in particular he's been focused on the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues and of prophecy. So, quick recap on those. Tongues is an unlearned language. Sometimes what God does is miraculously, supernaturally, give someone a new language that they've never learned, that probably they've never even heard, and they can uh, use that language to pray God in a way, praise God in a way they haven't been able to before. Sometimes he also gives people the gift of interpretation so that they can hear this language and miraculously understand what that person is on about and share the message with a wider group. 
but otherwise tongues to be used for the, for the individual person. Prophecy is in your own language, uh, and it's sometimes God, uh, through his spirit, will give someone a message that is to be shared with others. Sometimes it's about predicting the future, other times it's about the present. Um, these gifts and the other spiritual gifts that we read about in the Bible are good. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit for our benefit. Um, and so what Paul does here is he goes, well, tongues and prophecy are great. We should eagerly desire to have them in our lives and in our church meetings, but let's work out how to use them well. Let's work how to use them in a loving way, according to the way that he outlined in, in chapter 13, which is all about love. So, um, oh, and he starts addressing the Corinthians who are, who are using these gifts in an unloving way and in an unhelpful way. So let's look at them one by one. Let's start with the gift of tongues and have a look at verse 18 with me. Paul says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, so our author has the gift of tongues and seems to use it a lot and, and really gets a lot of benefit from it. Then he says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's the principle here from what he's saying? It's not a command. What's the principle? The principle is when somebody speaks in front of the group in a group meeting, it's really helpful if we can understand what they say. Is that profound or is that just a pretty straightforward thing like whenever you speak in front of a group? Like a duh, like it's useful to you. You, know, uh, you guys probably speak English, right? So it's useful to you that I'm speaking English and that we can be understood. It's a bit of a duh principle and yet churches do muck this up. And often, you know, you, you can, well, not often maybe, but sometimes you might attend a church service where you really don't understand what's going on. And that seemed to be the case for the Corinthians. So that's the first principle, but he's got like a, an extra layer to that. It's not just so that the Christians can understand what's going on when we get together. It's also so that, as it says in verse 23, unbelievers and inquirers can understand. So have a look at verse 23. Uh, he says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, so there's all sorts of people speaking all sorts of what effectively is gibberish if you don't have the gift of interpretation, um, and then inquirers and unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? With the obvious answer being, yeah, they would say that. That's logical. Like That's a really weird thing to walk in with everyone speaking at the same time, not listening to each other and all in different languages. That would be a bizarre experience. And so he's saying it's extra important that what we do in church gatherings is easily understood so that someone who's visiting checking out Christianity, maybe even a skeptic, can actually understand what's going on and has an opportunity to respond to God. And then he gives the Corinthian church some application in how to use the gift of tongues so that it's not going to cause chaos. Last sentence in verse 26 says, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So everything, including the gift of tongues, we need to do that so we can support each other, encourage each other, strengthen people. And then he gives some specific details in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak. So he's capped it at three people speaking in tongues in a meeting. Uh, one at a time, 
So you've got to take turns, no speaking over each other, and someone must interpret. So you need the gift of interpretation happening there. If there is no interpreter, then the speaker should keep quiet or, or to stop speaking in the church and just speak to himself and to God. So basically, if you had the gift of tongues and uh, you felt it was one that could be shared with the group, um, we might say, all right, um, you, you get you out the front and you share it. And if there's an interpretation, great. If there's not, okay, time to stop. And you can just pray in that tongue by yourself. Um, this is all so that people can be understood so that, uh, and so that visitors can find the church meeting accessible. So this was the problem that Corinthians had. They were misusing the gift of tongues. That is not an issue here in Diamond Creek at St John's. I don't think I've heard someone pray in tongues up the front once in my six and a half years here. Well, I know I haven't. I have heard someone pray, or a couple of people pray in tongues just quietly sitting next to me, perhaps during some music. I've heard some people sing in tongues. A few people last week when we did a bit more detail on tongues came up and told me that they'd been singing in tongues during church last week. So it does happen, but we do not have a problem with it getting out of control. In fact, this would be a growth area for us. We can, yeah, bear in mind the principle of being understood, but actually this is an area we could grow, we could learn more, we could try it out a bit. I was talking to one guy this morning. He said, because it doesn't happen much in our church, he has the gift of tongues, but he's kind of lost the confidence in it. Like he's, He feels like, oh, uh, I'd love to use it more, but I've sort of just lost that momentum and so on. Um, he wasn't blaming anyone, but he was just saying he'd like to get that back um, and, and perhaps find a few other people who, who could do that with him. So it's not an issue for us um, abusing it, but it is a growth area. So we chatted about this during the week as staff, and we said, well, um, what would we recommend if you do have the gift of tongues or God gives you the gift of tongues at some point and you'd like to share it and you think, oh, maybe it's actually one to share publicly, what should you do? And basically what we'd like you to do is come and talk to the leader of that particular meeting. So if it's the service here on Sunday night, that'd be me. If it's the morning service, have a chat to Julie Blinko, which many of you will know. Uh, Tim is our boss. Tim's going to stand up now. Uh, so, you know, he overrides both of us, so you feel free to chat to him. Um, if we're not around, you know, you chat to the service leader or the life group leader and just say, hey, I've got this tongue, and then have a chat to them about what would be the best way for that to be shared. And that might vary depending on how chaotic the meeting was at the time and their experience with it and so on. could be a great learning experience um, for you and for the, for the leader of the group as well. So we would encourage you to do that. Please don't feel like you shouldn't do that just because you haven't seen it happen before. Now, this principle of being clearly understood and especially by visitors, you can easily apply that principle beyond the gift of tongues and prophecy. You know, just we do some weird things as Christians and when we get in together in church. And so if we can de-weird some of that stuff, that's going to be helpful. I was talking to a friend of mine, we were talking about this sort of thing, and he was a bit frustrated at his church because um, he was talking about the time where people can give financially to the church. And most churches will do this. They'll pass a plate or a bag along the aisles, and if people want to drop some cash in to help the church and the groups that they work with, we do this, um, then, then they're welcome to do it. He said the way it was announced at their church every single week was, it's now time for our tithes and offerings. And that was the only explanation that was given. And he was like, anyway, if you think about it, what's a tithe? Like, half of you don't know what a tithe is. <laughs> and so, like, even the Christian people are like, oh, what's a 
is it something to do with they seem to collect the money afterwards so maybe something to do with money and then even with offering okay that's a bit closer to making sense but if you've heard random things about religion you might be going animal offering are we about to slaughter something here like what's going on so just you know simple things we can do just using english to be more understood and to help someone feel welcome is a great thing so the challenge for all of you that are a follower of jesus is have a think about the way you talk about your faith what words do you use what illustrations do you use and are some of those unhelpful Maybe they would be. Maybe there'll be those words that we only use in a church building which we would never use outside. My pet hate is the way we, we, we pronounce the word blessed because we say it's blessed. Or we say, instead of saying love your neighbor, we say love thy neighbor. Why? Why do we do those things? Like, you know, these, these things that just like, let's make ourselves as easily understood as possible. And it's good for us to reflect on that, especially if you're in a leadership role. Okay, so there's tongues and being understood. Uh, prophecy, also we apply that principle of being clearly understood. What seemed to be the case um, in the church when this was written is that when someone felt they had a message from God to share with the group, that there was a little testing session that went on. We don't know how many people were invited to that, whether it was just an all-in, everyone who's there tested, or whether it was a select group maybe of, of leaders or elders who would get together and test it. But whatever the case, it wasn't just a situation that any old person can just stand up and share a testimony, uh, share a word of prophecy, and we all have to go, okay, that's exactly the words of God, and we have to do it. Think about it, that's dangerous, right? Some weirdo could just go, I have a prophecy. (laughs) They'll stand up and just say something really wacky or really way off. Maybe it contradicts the Bible. Maybe it doesn't measure up with what Paul says um, prophecy should be, which is that it should be strengthening and encouraging and comforting, that it should be loving. You know, maybe it's just way off there. My theory is that some cults have started because the prophet has not been challenged. Nobody's tested what that person said and it gets weirder and weirder until it goes into cult territory. So testing seems like a great thing to do. Uh, and he sort of outlines ways to do that in verse 26 to 28. So let's have a look at those. Um, Sorry, um, sorry. 29 to 32 is where you would go to sort of see how the testing works. Uh, let me just summarise it for you because because we're not familiar with that particularly, um, here's how it might work. Um, I, st- I think I've got the word of prophecy, so I, I stand up and I share it with the group and then you guys just throw it around. You question it. You know, oh, does that really make sense? Does this line up with that? You might challenge it. You might completely disagree, say that is not from God. You might say, yes, it is. This sounds great. Um, and so, that, but that's a group thing that goes on. And the group sort of decides, is this um, a message from God or is it not? Um, we do a little bit more of this. Um, at St. John's, then we do the tongue stuff. Uh, so every now and then, someone will approach me or one of the other leaders and just say, I feel like I've got a word to share. This actually happened during extended worship last week. Um, and then we just throw it around around a bunch of couple of leaders, which we did last week. We just said, hey, here's the word. What do you reckon? No issues. Yeah, and we ended up sharing it last week. And most of the time, we stood up and just shared that no, this is a message that we think God would like us to hear. We did it on Camp Crave earlier in the year as well. So again, again, if you feel like God's given you a word that you should share, 
with the group, please approach me or one of the other leaders and, and we'll just throw it around and do a bit of testing in a small group. That tends, tends to be the way we've done it and we've found it works pretty well here. Um, but again, don't be backwards about coming forwards. Don't hold back on those things. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Okay, so what's the deal in this section about testing prophecy with income to the verses on women remaining silent? So what's the deal there? Why do women need to remain silent during the prophecy testing? Well, is it, is it women or is it actually wives? If you look at it in a bit of detail, you'll realise it's talking about married women in particular, or oh, specifically. So verse 35, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home. So this implies the women that have been written about there are married and have that option to speak about the prophecy testing at home. Um, and so let's, uh, let's again workshop this. It's not a case that women can't say anything in the church meeting. This is specifically about the testing prophecy period of the meeting. And it's also not the case that women can't speak in that period either because in chapter 11 we see that Paul expects that women will share prophecy in church meetings. That's actually in there in the same letter, right? So same author, same letter. So women are allowed to speak and share a prophecy and the gift of prophecy uh, as outlined in the day of Pentecost and the prophecies that were quoted then, which we looked at last week, uh, say that the gift of prophecy is for both men and women. So women should be there and do get receive the gift and can share the gift of prophecy with the group. So what's the deal with wives staying silent during that period? Well, uh, let's workshop it with me and my wife, Renee. Okay, so say I stand up and I share the prophecy. Um, Renee's the one who's been playing guitar just here. Um, and, and Renee thinks I'm off. She thinks, you know, it's actually the, the noodles we had for lunch speaking. It's not God. You know, like this is, for whatever reason, she wants to challenge it or question it or whatever. Now, that's, that's good for her to do that. Um, but chaos starts to enter the meeting if that happens between a married couple. You know, in the sense that what are you going to be focused on? If you know where we're married, are you going to focus on whether we're getting the prophecy right or are you going to start going, what's going on there? A bit of an interesting relationship between those two. Trouble in paradise. You know, this sort of stuff. Or the reverse might work. So Brene might be flat out agreeing with me like, yes, you nailed it. That is straight from God. And, of course, you might be cynical about that too and go, well, pff, you know, she would say that. That's her husband, you know. Um, or even if it's not me sharing the prophecy, maybe it's, uh, you know, Di sharing the prophecy. And then we disagree on it. And Renee thinks it's great and I think it's rubbish or vice versa. And, again, it creates that tension and it creates a bit of chaos. And so the instruction here is to don't let that sort of thing spill into the meeting. Just talk about it at home. Maintains loving relationship in the marriage, reduces the possibility for chaos in the prophecy testing situation. So Paul's taking the testing of prophecy very seriously and not wanting any slip-ups in the way you go about this thing. And that's, again, fair enough, because you can imagine the damage. We've seen the damage of people who claim to be speaking the words of God and actually speak something very destructive. That can be incredibly problematic. So the testing is very important. 
Okay, so that's sort of my understanding of the passage and um, that's sort of the, the general teaching that our church offers on this sort of passage. So you might be going, hang on, Kirk. You approve of women in leadership. You've had several lead- people leading this service already tonight who are women. So aren't you just, aren't you like just twisting this passage to sort of make it fit what, what our church prefers to do? Very reasonable question. Totally fair if you're thinking that. You'd also be fair to go, well, why doesn't Paul just say married people or spouses, right? Because surely this would work the other way around. You know, if Renee was sharing the prophecy, surely I should wait until we get home and, and talk about it there. What's going on? Um, and I think that would actually be the way to apply that principle, actually, is to do it in reverse as well. So the husbands be quiet if, if their wife is speaking. So... Why does the author focus particularly on women? That's the big question. That's the controversial bit. The controversial bit is not respecting people within your marriage. It's not trying to have an orderly prophecy testing. The controversial bit is why does he focus on women? Um, There's a couple of reasons that we suspect uh, that this is the case. uh, And it's to do with what was going on in the Corinthian church at the time. Um, And we know a lot of what was going on just because of what Paul writes earlier on in the letter. And then we know a bit from history as well. And so the critique of the Corinthian church was this. You are letting too much of the culture of your city influence what happens in your church meetings. Every culture has good things about it. There's some really great things about Aussie culture. There's some terrific things about living in Melbourne. But not every part of our culture is going to do good here if we bring it into the church. There will be parts of our culture that we want to leave at the door. And so the, the critique of the Corinthians was they were just letting it all spill in and it was taking over and it was creating chaos and they were just losing the plot. And so one of the things that was a particular feature of that city was goddess worship. So these are false gods, pagan gods that were followed at the time um, that were, were female gods. And they were worshipped. And in particular, they were, there was a sexualization of that worship too. Temple prostitution, this sort of thing. One way you could worship God was to go and, um, and, and have sex with a, a woman at the temple, right? And so women were sort of elevated and empowered in a way that was unhelpful and unhealthy, even by today's standards. So we want to empower women today in the sense that men and women are equal and we want women to know that and to believe that and to live in a a world where it's increasingly acknowledging that's the case. That's great empowerment of women. Empowering women to be sort of worshipped and particularly worshipped through sexualisation, that's unhealthy empowerment. That's gone too far. And so what's likely happening is Paul's going, this is a big problem. There were probably some women, particularly maybe wives of prominent men, Um, who were very vocal during the testing of prophecy and because they were sort of worshipped by the local culture um, or had that sort of element of mysterious sort of, you know, goddess sort of type lady, that that was creating problems and it was actually interrupting the whole testing prophecy thing. And Paul takes it very serious and says, that's got to stop. In this city, women have to be quiet because of all that's going on and all the problems that you're facing. And that's the principle that he's offering there. And actually, he says, no, this is a command. This is actually what God wants, is for, you, is for women to be quiet during the pro- testing of prophecy. 
Now, the question is, well, how much of that do we apply today? You know, we don't have this goddess worship thing going on, not, not, not anywhere like it was in Corinth um, back then. Do we go, oh, okay, it's just a contextual thing. It's just about what was happening then. We can pretty much just get the scissors out, snip out verse 34 and 35, and we can just be done with it. Well, that's not helpful, right? Because that's saying, just because I don't think it's a command for us, that means there's no principle there as well. But the principle is still there of the importance of getting God's word right and the importance of meeting together in an orderly way and the importance of not allowing our culture to overtake what happens in the church. So that principle is still there. We might apply it differently. I certainly don't think that we should apply the women being silent universally across all churches everywhere, but there may still be context where that would be appropriate. There may be context where it would be appropriate for men to stay silent as well. Um, now, you know, history sort of weighted towards men being in power. A lot of history has been more of a patriarchy, um, but there are, have been societies where that's been different. Anyway, that's where we want to go. We don't want to just find a passage like this that we find clashes with our modern day ideals and just go, let's just cut that. That's not doing, uh, that's just lazy, really. And it's not actually seeking to hear from God. What we do want to do, though, is be careful not to take a principle and turn it into a command, or take a command and turn it into a universal command for everyone everywhere when it might have just been for a specific group. Let's have a look at verse 26 again, that second sentence in verse 26 as we come towards the end. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That is the principle that we can apply to all the things that we do. Here, he's applying it to the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and how that's used. But we want to apply that to everything that we do. And that's what we have in mind, particularly if you're a leader in our church. Please always be thinking about that. Now, I've got to say... <laughs> as I wrap things up here, there's more complicated things in that passage that I didn't get to simply because we don't have an hour and a half uh, to hear me preach. Um, so some of it might come up in the Q&A and we'd love to take it there. Um, and I understand also that other Christian groups, other churches, would interpret this passage a bit differently. Some would even um, interpret it very differently to the way I have today. So I just want to acknowledge that. Some would say this teaches us about hierarchy within the family and that, that the father or the husband is the head of the family. Um, I just don't think if you just look at this verse in isolation, that's legitimate to draw that conclusion. Some might even take it to the point where women are not allowed to lead in the service at all. But as I said, this is firmly in the, the area of testing prophecy. And uh, so that's why I would not draw that conclusion and take it further than that because the text just doesn't do it. Um, that said, I just want to acknowledge it is a debated thing amongst Christians and there are differences of opinion. I would just encourage us to always engage with those conversations openly and honestly and in a friendly, loving way and be gracious, gracious to each other as we learn. It's complicated. As I said, this is the most complicated passage I've ever had to prepare a talk on. It's not like it's just simple and we can just work it out real easy. There's a whole lot going on. It takes a fair bit of work. Let's wrestle with it together and work it out together. But everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's why God sent us the Holy Spirit in the first place, so that the church could begin, 
so that we could experience God's love, so that we could be built up and, and grow stronger together. And I just want to finish by saying we've spent a few weeks talking about the supernatural gifts, the miraculous ones that, that just don't make sense unless God's involved. Things like tongues and healing and prophecy and interpretation. I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid of those. They're good gifts that God wants to give us. It's good to ask for them. And yes, we should avoid using them in a chaotic way and we should use them in a way that means that a visitor is not going to get freaked out and, and not understand what's going on. But we shouldn't be afraid of them because God's good. He loves us and he wants the best for us. Let me say a prayer. Lord God, please grow us in our trust of you. Particularly we ask that you grow us in our trust of your spirit. Help us to experience the feeling of your spirit and, experience, and to experience the spiritual gifts that you want to give us. We particularly pray that you grow us both as individuals and as a church in the area of tongues and prophecy and interpretation. We don't ask this just so that we can have a new trick to show off. We ask it so that we can get to know you better, we can grow more confident in our faith and stronger in the love that you give. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au 